good. All right, 1 John chapter 5 is where we'll be this evening. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 13 verses here shortly and kind of land on a few other places as well as we uh, on Sunday evenings have uh, taken a little time to try to answer some questions you may have, all right? And some of you have taken these, these um, uh, little, little piece of paper here and put a question or two or three on and turned them in. And I know some of, you, some of the others have some questions that you like to have or try to have answered. Uh, of course, either questions about the Bible or questions of life, issues of life with a Bible answer uh, to give towards those issues of life. If you, if you have a question like that, please turn it in to us and we'll try our best to, to uh, do diligent study and, uh, and try to answer those questions for you, all right? Uh, questions are good. They aid in our learning and it's okay to ask them, all right, just so you know. So turn your questions in, and we'll take several Sunday evenings as we can and, and go through and try to answer some of these questions that you may have. And one of the questions we asked a few Sunday evenings ago uh, was regarding this subject, of how can we know or how can we discern the will of God for our lives? And we took some time to look into that question and I hope some of those answers uh, helped you, all right, as you're discerning, trying to discern, know what God has for your life. Because it's important to know that, right? Uh, would you say amen to that? Okay, three of it, great. It is important to know what God wants for our lives. But this other question that uh, came, uh, came across to us uh, recently was another question of knowing something. And it was on this line. How can I really know that I've been saved? How can I really know that I've been born again? And I'm glad to tell you that we can know that. The Bible is clear on the matter when it comes to salvation that we can know. So let's look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 5, all right? And the Bible says this. Let's just start, let's just start in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 13, all right? The Bible says in verse number 1 of 1 John chapter 5, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. That is right there, bears in the truth of the Godhead, the Trinity, as many call it. As a Bible word, the Godhead there, all right? But verse number 8, and there are, there are three, I'm sorry, verse number 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, 
and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our Father, if we look to your word this evening, I pray that you solidify this wonderful fact and truth of assurance of salvation, how we can know, how can we, how we can know that we have eternal life. May some of these marks of, uh, of being born again, of marks of being a believer, may they take root in our lives and help, help those that may be struggling with the doubts of salvation. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, listen, when we talk about the assurance of salvation, I believe it's an important thing, or knowing that we are saved, I believe it's an important thing, because when we're talking about salvation, we are dealing and talking about someone's ever-living and never-dying soul. And so you want to make sure that our soul, your soul, is saved, because our soul will go to one of two places, uh, one, heaven, or two, the other, hell. Uh, we want to make sure, though, as born-again believers, we are saved. As you are saved, your soul is on its way to heaven. But let me ask you this. Have you ever doubted? You don't have to raise your hand. Nothing. Just, ask, just answer for yourself. Have you ever doubted? Because uh, I know I have. I have doubted whether I was saved or not. Listen, I even had that doubt when I was in Bible college studying to be in the ministry. And yet I had uh, doubts of, of salvation. But many people, many people have their doubts every now and again. But, but just because you doubt it doesn't mean you're not, all right? I do want to make that clear uh, this evening as, just before we get, or just as we're starting. So just know that. Just because you may have a doubt or two does not mean you're not, you're not saved. But we do need to try to settle those doubts and move forward in full confidence and service to the Lord. This is one preacher said. He said this about doubts as a believer. He said, having doubts in a Christian life is much like driving an automobile, but with the brakes on. Uh, you may be moving, but you ain't moving very fast, you know. And uh, so doubts can plague us from time to time, but we need to settle those. And just from the very get-go, I want you to know this when it comes to salvation. Salvation is made only possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is simply this, as Paul puts it for us in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 4, when he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, but which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, here it is, he's, he's, he's explaining the gospel as clearly and simply as possible, how that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, and he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is simply this, it is that Jesus died for us, was buried for us, and rose again from the grave for us to give us life, and to give us life more abundant. Jesus is the only one that provided salvation for the entire world. His salvation is in Him and in Him alone. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Again, Acts 4, 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13, that we should be the, to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. 
in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. First Thessalonians 5, 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, salvation is in the Lord. Salvation was provided by Jesus alone. So we'll make that plain. I know you know that. I'm not trying to insult your, your intelligence, I promise. But just know that Jesus is the only way. And I'm thankful that He is. I'm thankful He has provided salvation. It's through Him and Him alone. And according to John chapter 3, when someone comes to know Jesus as Savior, He describes it as a new birth. Let me read this passage to you. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse number 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? By the way, I don't think he's being snarky or sarcastic. I think he's actually trying to uh, get, get questions answered. So again, it's okay to ask questions, all right? But Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone as born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou our master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man hath ascended to heaven. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So as he's talking to Nicodemus here, he's talking to him about being saved, of course, and he likens it unto being born again. Let me ask you a question this evening. Anyone here been born the first time, meaning you are actively alive, physically breathing? Anybody? Okay. If no hands were raised and nobody said amen, check on your neighbor, okay? That's a problem. Uh, but I would say yes, most of us here, all of us, have been born once. Yes, you are alive. You have been born. And uh, with your first birth, there may be some, um, I don't know, marks, we can call it that way, birth marks that you had after you were born. Anybody have a birthmark on your body? Uh, my, I know my daughter has one under her arm, and uh, when she, she was born with that, it's a birthmark. I have one, I have one on my, on my lip right here, it's covered by my mustache. But, uh, but uh, we have birthmarks, and uh, it's an indication that we were, well, born. When it comes to being born again, I believe there can be some birthmarks, if you will, say it that way, that shows you've been born born again, born from 
above. And I will want to, I want to give a full disclosure right out of the gate that I'm not trying to give these birthmarks of a believer type of thing in order to take this list and compare them to other people, all right? Uh, compare them to other believers to see if they really got it or not. That's not what this is all about, okay? Uh, I'm sure if we compare some of, of these marks on our worst of days, uh, we may not match up to looking like a believer should look, right? We would all agree to that, I would, I would think. And uh, so just know that, all right? Just take that for what it is. But nonetheless, I still want to look at some birthmarks of a believer. And uh, mainly these will be in 1 John. We'll jump around a couple of different chapters, but, but we'll look at this, okay? The birthmarks of a believer. Now, as we read 1 John, as you read it, you'll see several times, if you read the book of 1 John, you'll see several times John say, little children. Uh, you'll find it some nine times in the book of 1 John. But he, when he says little children, he's not talking necessarily of kids in young in age, uh, physically. He's not talking about six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids. All right, He's not talking about little kids that way. He's not writing to children or grandchildren. Rather, when he says little children, he is speaking to new believers. He is t- he's speaking to baby Christians, those who may have recently been born again. And again, this is one of the reasons why I point new believers to this great book of the Bible, to help them find their assurance, to help them find their security that they have in Jesus, in Jesus Christ as they go through this little book of, of the Bible. But one of the things that John is trying to get across to his readers here, to these believers, is this. They can know, my little children, they can know they are saved. Now, some people believe that you cannot know that. That it's impossible to know if you've ever been saved or not. I remember talking to a fellow and asked him if he knew he was saved, if he was going to heaven when he died, his response is, well, I don't, I don't think anybody can know that, preacher. I don't think anybody can really know that they'll go to heaven when, when they die. We just have to, you know, just have to kind of wait and see what happens. And, well, hopefully the Lord will, well, hopefully he'll let me in. I, I looked at him and said, no, sir, that's, that's not how it works at all. And, by the way, it's a miserable existence, not knowing one way or the other. It's a terrible way to live. And uh, so, but we can know. So let's look at a few birthmarks, a few tests, if you will, to see about when it comes to the matter of salvation. All right, the first one is this. Number one, the commandment test. Okay, look at 1 John with me, if you will. Go to chapter 2, all right? 1 John chapter number, uh, number 2 and verse number 3, all right? The Bible says this. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Verse 6. He that saith, he abideth in him all himself also, so to walk, even as he Walked. Now, I do want to be very clear when it comes to this first point here. Understand, we are not saved by keeping any commandment. 
We're not saved by keeping any law. Paul made that very clear in the book of Galatians when he says we are not saved by the works of the law. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So we're not saved. He's not indicating we're saved by keeping any kind of commandment or commandment keeping. We're not saved that way, all right? So when John is writing, he is saying these things here. He is not alluding to the fact that we're saved by keeping Ten Commandments. Rather, he makes it pretty plain when he says this. Look at it again, verse number three. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. John's not beating around the bush when he says this. Now, as a person reads this, they may get a little nervous thinking back on their life how they have not always obeyed in every ordinance or commandment of God to perfection. And listen, if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to agree we've not always obeyed as we should. Uh, anybody obeyed perfectly in your life since you've come to Christ? Anybody? Okay, we've got one liar. All right. No. <laughs> Nobody has. All right. Uh, nobody's obeyed perfectly when it comes to obeying the Word of God since becoming a, a believer. And so, again, that's not what he's saying, though. He's not saying it ought to be saved. But rather, I believe he's alluding to this when it comes to the heart of a child of God. There's going to be at least a desire. You see, our desires begin to change when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. There's going to be a want to. There's going to be a desire to obey Him, a desire for Obedience, again, not perfect in it. We know that, but at least a desire there. I love my children. They're not always perfectly obedient, especially young as she's not in here so I can talk about her. But, uh, but I know there's at least a desire to make mama and daddy happy and try to obey that way. Not perfect, but there's at least a desire there. Now, let me ask you this evening. When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God's Word, Is there at least a desire of some kind to do what what it says? You know, there are many today who claim to know the Lord and yet have absolutely no desire to obey God's word at all. You know, some people make claims, or as the Bible says in verse number 4 and verse number 6, he that saith, he that saith, people make claims, right? Make claims like, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, yeah, I got saved back so in such a time, and yet in their life there's no fruit or evidence of any kind of obedience to God in His Word. Is there a desire there? Uh, do you remember the maniac of Gadara in the Gospel records when Jesus came to the area of the Gadarenes and met this crazed lunatic of a man who was possessed of devils? And yet when Jesus stepped on the shore, the man came running to Him. And it was, of course, the devil's inside of them saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, right? Uh, but in, a, in, a, in, that, in that text, in that context there, Jesus did cast out the demons out of that man. And the man was clothed, sitting, and in his right mind. But do you remember what his desire was after, after that moment, after he got saved, after he came to know Jesus? His desire was this, to do whatever God wanted him to do. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed 
began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Listen, Jesus changed this man's life but all he wanted to do was follow him and obey him. The desire of his life changed. And listen, if God has changed our life, then our desires will change as well. Our desires will change. Can we live in disobedience? Sure. Sure, we can live in disobedience. But I promise you won't be happy in it. Yeah, there's, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But that happiness, that joy, or whatever pleasure, it won't last long. You can't be happy in your disobedience forever. There's got to be at least some kind of desire, surely, to obey, to obey the Lord. So before we go to the next point, let me ask you again this question. Where is your desire when it comes to God's Word and obedience to it? There's a commandment test. All right, what else can we see? Number two, I see a companion test. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse number 14. All right? Chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Look at verse 13 or 14 again. We know, we know, you can know these things. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Understand this word love here is a very, really, it's the very nature of God. It's an attribute of God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And 1 John 4, 16, And we have known and believed the, the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So since the love is the very nature of God, and as believers we have God in us, then it would seem to reason that we are going to love the things that God loves. Now, what is one of the things that God loves? He loves His own. He loves, he loves His people. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Let me ask you a question this evening. Do you love the brethren? Do you love other believers? Do you love God's people? Do you love the family of God? Do you love, do you love the church? Now I'm not talking about the building, the brick and mortar here. I'm talking about the people. Do you love God's people? I believe that love and love for others is a great mark, great mark, great birthmark of salvation. As Jesus said this in John 13, 5, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, I get it. Sometimes as believers, we can be quite unloving and unlovable. I was waiting for an amen. Nobody's, everybody's scared to do that. It's all right. But we can be unloving at times and unlovable, and sometimes we can just be absolute, here's a great theological word for you, an absolute jerks, all right? It can happen. You know why? Because you still live in this nasty, stinky, rotten flesh. That's why. You see, the church is made up of sinners. Sinners who are saved by grace, but sinners nonetheless. 
And that salvation that we have experienced in Christ has not eradicated that sinful nature and our sinful flesh. No, we still struggle with it from time to time. And again, you can receive Paul's testimony of that in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 25, when he says, The things that I would, I find myself not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new. But as saved people, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, understand something, we do not have to yield to the sinful desires of the flesh. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members to servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness and holiness. So understand, as saved people, we still have the flesh to deal with. And yes, the flesh does give us fits. And it can cause us to be unloving and even unlovable. But regardless of that, do you still love the brethren? Um, talking with an individual who recently got saved and, and uh, talked about some things. And it got around to the point of talking about an individual who hurt him deeply. But his response is this. He says, but they, they've hurt me so bad, but, but preacher, I, I just I can't hate them. He says, I, I really want to, but I can't. Preacher, is that weird? What's wrong with me? <laughs> I said, it's not weird, man. I said, there's nothing wrong with you. That's what's right with you. Really, it's what's right about Jesus in you. Because Jesus does that. It's the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to love one another. So do you love the brethren? Do you love the church? You know, after I got saved, no one had to tell me I had to go to church. I just knew I had to. I knew I had to. I, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be around God's people. I wanted to be where the word of God was preached. I wanted to be in church. And the devil didn't put that desire in my heart. So who did? It's the Lord. Do you, do you love God's people? Look at it again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know, John? Because we love the brethren. So there's a companion test. And there's another one, the compassion test. Now, this is closely related to, again, the companion test. But look at verse number 17 and 19. Uh, of chapter 3, all right? So look at chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and look at verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Now, Understand, though, just because someone has compassion does not necessarily mean they are saved. But if someone is saved, this compassion will be exhibited in one form or, or another. Again, look, 
A person who calls themselves a Christian should exhibit the traits of Christ. Yes? Yes. Okay, thank you. All right. Yes, they should. And this is yet another one. Because Jesus was full of compassion. The Bible says in, in Mark chapter number 8 and verse number 2, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And of course, this compassion that he had on the multitude was when they were hungry and he fed the 5,000. He didn't just have compassion, just say it rather, but he also showed it by his deeds when he fed the 5,000 with a little lad's lunch. And then again in Mark chapter number 9, verse 22, as this is a, a father talking to Jesus, he said this, And oftentimes it cast him into the fire, speaking of his son, and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This father had a demon-possessed son, and he just, he's at his wits end, didn't know what to do, so he finally came to Jesus. And the only thing he said is, please have compassion on us. His compassion was exhibited. Jesus showed his compassion by casting out the demon, right? Jesus was full of compassion. And it wasn't just uh, heard from his lips. It was also seen from his deeds. Just as John says here, again, look at it with me in verse number 17. But whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, shut up up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Here it is, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, meaning don't just talk about it, be about it, but in deed and truth. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So it's a compassion test. And then there's this one, number four. There's a craving test. Again, go back to 1 John chapter 5 where we started. And I want to look at verse number 18, all right? 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse number 18. The Bible says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Oh boy. Uh, Brother Philip, does this mean that after I am saved that I will be sinless? Nope. Nope, no, that's not true. Even Eli, it's not true for Eli, all right? It's not true, okay? After you've been born again, that does not mean you'll be sinless. You see, it's not the uh, occasional sin that's in view here. It's not the occasional sin. It's not talking about that. Rather, I believe what John is trying to get at and point to is this, a habitual sin, a perpetual sin, meaning continuing in the same course of Sin, meaning, here's the attitude. I love my sin and I want to stay in it and no one's going to tell me any different. And if that's the case in someone's life, if that's the case in someone's life, that, that's their craving in their life, wouldn't you say it's a problem? I would say there's, there's something not exactly right there. There's definitely at least a concern there because understand when Jesus saves a person, things will change, even their cravings. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look again at verse number 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him 
not. So understand, there's a craving test. But here's another part of that craving test. The desire or the craving, here it is, for God's Word. Again, this morning from our text, we didn't get there. But we'll get there probably, hopefully next Sunday. But 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 2 and 3. Peter says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. If so be you've tasted <clears throat> that the Lord is gracious. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the desire you had? The desire you had for God's word after you got saved? I remember it. I remember after I trusted the Lord as my Savior, a 16-year-old. And I went to work uh, the following Saturday. Uh, I didn't have a Bible of my own, so I took my mom's to work with me. And on my break, I would take a sandwich in one hand, a Bible in the other, and I just began to read. No one told me to start reading in John, or no one told me to start reading in 1 John. All I did was close my eyes, flip through the Bible, and then open my eyes, and boom, right there. That's when I started reading, all right? I didn't know how to read the Bible. And you can do it systematically, chronologically, and all of that. But I just wanted to read. I had a desire just to read and just to be in the Bible. But I never had that before. I never had that craving, never had that desire before until Jesus saved me. I remember a professor of mine telling me about uh, the desire of the believers he saw after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, he, he said that when he went over there, after the wall came down, they took supplies, they took food and water and other things, but they also took Bibles. And as it came over there, he remembered specifically one lady coming to their table. And her hands were withered and she had some ragged clothes on and she, she was thankful for the supplies and the food and the water. But when she came to the table, had a Bible. She was just absolutely thrilled to have the Word of God. She, she picked up a Bible, clutched it to, to her chest, then she began to kiss it. Then she held it up in, in, in the air and in her own language she thanked God for having the Word in her possession. She thanked God for having the Bible. Of all the things that she went through, that's what she wanted most, was a copy of the Word of God. That was her desire. And listen, this desire for God's Word, it doesn't come from the devil. <laughs> he wants to keep you from it. Where does that desire come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you. That new craving comes from God. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Our desires change when we come to know Jesus. Have yours? Have yours changed? I'm thankful that they do. God makes us new. We're not what we ought to be. We talked about that this morning. We're not where we ought to be. Of course not. We're always on this, on this process of progress. We're always growing in the Lord. We should be. We're, we're, salvation is instant, but the, the process of sanctification, well, it goes on until glorification, meaning until we get to see Jesus face to face. Look, we all should be growing. We all should be growing. And God puts these desires in our heart as children of God.
These are just a few evidences, assurances, birthmarks, traits, whatever you want to call them, of someone who has passed from death unto life. Are there others? Yeah, there's, there's some others. These are just a few we could look at and highlight this evening to show that we have passed from death unto life. And I hope God uses these, helps you. And maybe you can take these and help somebody else that may be struggling with the doubt of salvation. But I'm thankful, listen, this, I'm thankful this evening that we can know, we can know some things. We can know the will of God. We can know, we can know, we can know we are born again. And let these birthmarks of that help you settle the doubts that may be plaguing your heart and mind.